one of the things that we find ourselves seeking. We may not necessarily have the words for it, but uh, uh, I think when we touch into experience of wholeness or restfulness or non-differentiation, it's extremely satisfying. Uh, sense of not rushing out to the future, not getting anxious, not pushed towards that, not having to handle all kinds of stuff, juggle things, um, pack things away into boxes, tidy things up, sort things out. Uh, it can be very satisfying just to let that level of experience uh, fade and even to recognize that that level of experience, which you know most of us would say is the real world, actually can dissolve into something more unified, embodied very much, and dissolved into embodiment rather than be something we kind of push away. So this sense of, you know, process of meditation as being one aspect of it being our ability, the mind's ability to release these uh, what I call differentiations. Differentiations begin with the sense of myself and the world. Here am I, there's everything else. Become sharpened into there's me and there's you, and there's me and this you, and that one, and him and her. So a variety of differentiations. Every one of them carries a particular charge, doesn't it? So when we close our eyes... You know, maybe the differentiations that occur are, oh, is that I remember, and then I should do, and how am I doing anyway? And I could be do- There's a whole lot of, of juggling goes on. Yeah. Am I doing it right? We differentiate between right and wrong. Those become very meaningful terms for us. There's a whole charge around right and wrong, getting it right, not getting it right. Yeah. So there's a differentiation. Experience is what happens, isn't it? Experience just is happening, <coughs> right? Experience happens. It's not right or wrong. It happens. It, that's its sole quality. <laughs> it's fundamental. But, you know, around part of the ex- quality of the human experience is the human experience also has the potency to generate within it. Well... Here am I, there's that. That's the fundamental differentiation called consciousness. Consciousness, there's me, this is happening to me. There's a thing out there that's doing this to me. And that thing can first of all just directly sensory, just as we open our eyes, we sense. Oh, without doing anything more than just, oh, that places, isn't it? When the eyes were closed, it was just this and now there's a this and there's a that. Yeah? And this is called me. And that's everything else. Yeah? So that's the first differentiation that occurs. It's called Nama Rupa. Yeah, the knowingness. Something is happening to something which apprehends it. And then these various other forms arise. Yeah? Differentiations into... Pleasant, unpleasant, uh, desirable, uncertain, you know, the ways in which we put adjectives on experience. Adjectives arise, and those adjectives become nouns. Don't they? Something I disagree with becomes a disagreeable object. Something which carries the quality of being offensive. 
So this process gradually hardens into distinct objects. I don't know if you'd follow this. Begins with just that movement of something's happening and then resonance of agreeable, disagreeable, and then feels perhaps disagreeable or uncertain, and then what happens then? I should do something about it, uh, make sure it doesn't happen, um, you know, and conceive that the experience of the disagreeable, which is actually a, an activity, a moving, dynamic thing, crystallizes into a disagreeable object out there. And so this process differentiation occurs, it becomes from something that's actually quite dynamic and fluid, you can feel a a sort of jump in the system, the nerves of favouring or opposing or uncertainty, becomes distinct objects that are, that carry that quality. this process is called uh, papancha. Pancha literally pancha is five, so it's making a you could say it's making a thorough fiveness is literally what the Pali means. And it may refer to something, the experience of something it's actually a singularity of just the resonance of being affected becomes an experience that's observed by the five external senses. That resonance of uncertainty becomes him who is this to me and he looks like this and I remember him as this and he could be this way and he said that yesterday and so on. All that comes up. And then the the hardening into that. Where did that come from? And naturally, this process very much occurred because it's it's mentally based. The eyes don't do it. The eyes certainly differentiate between, you know, seen and a seer. But the predominant uh, creator of the world is is mental mind. Don't mean intellectual. I mean it's in, it has an emotional quality. It has a perceptual quality. It has an intellectual quality, a conceiving quality, and this is uh, we we live with that. And the fundamental um, areas that perhaps are immediately conjured up and become realities that have the power to overwhelm us, such so that we do not believe that we created them. They're called the future big one. I do not create the future. The future is out there. There is such a thing as a tomorrow. There is an April the 29th. There is a 2017. There is a, my grandfather's birthday. There is a, got to pay the rent by. You know, they, they're really there. You can't say they're not there. They're really there. You know, well, actually, mm. <laughs> so the future and uh, there's certainly there they are it's, a, it's created 
and it has the power to very much push, overwhelm, flood the mind with its its potencies of interest, hope, aspiration, expectation, uh, worry, panic, despair. Floods the mind with 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 feeling. How can something that isn't even there? How can 2017 get me rattled? Because <laughs> 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 you know, we can certainly fill in that space with, uh, you know, hey, the current economy's not looking so good, and there's global warming, and so uh, you know, wow, you know, where did all that come from? Can you say it's not true? We say it's conventionally that the mind experiences that and often feels very much uh, unable to handle it. It almost as if the mind becomes divorced from the very object that is, that is created. And the process of papancha is called making sense. So this is not good or bad, I'm not saying, but it's something that's very much associated with suffering. <laughs> because in a way we feel powerless in the face of that because you certainly cannot guarantee you cannot know the future and yet there's a tremendous the power of the potency of the future asks us please try and make this settle and certain and comfortable so I can relax and then of course all the strategies come up to try to make that happen and that, of course, again is stressful, isn't it? Yeah. The amount of energy one has to put into handling this incredible object, which in fact doesn't exist. Well, it has a relative existence. And one's life is going out into that. And we can bear in mind, as is often recommended, we might die tomorrow. There might not be a 2017 as far as you're concerned. Can you say you should ignore it? No. But can you possibly not get overwhelmed by it? Yes. We look at other differentiations. This is a big one, the future. Another one, of course, is other people. Could be one person, you know, my friend, partner, son, mother, big charge yeah, around that. Responsibility, how are they with me? Are they comfortable with me? Do they like me? Do I, am I comfortable with them? Uh, how can I look after them? What's my duty towards them? What's my irritations and disappointments about them? Actually, who is this person that, that comes into my mind? Am I aware of their earrings or their intestines? No, you're probably aware of some kind of particular piece that rings for you, yeah? that represents your love or your worry or your frustration or your... Hmm? How charged that experience is. And yet, of course, it's happening all the time. We are living in a world of other people. We cannot say there are none. That signifier is a very meaningful one for us. And yet, what it signifies is actually coming from our own hearts. It's actually an empty signifier, a potent signifier. 
like the future is. It's like an empty space that says, and we what we put into that. Now the big one, of course, perhaps one of the biggest ones is the one called me. You run that through your mind a few times. See if you can run that through without a ripple. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very potent signifier, isn't it? Me. And along with it, perhaps come the. Uh, uh, I probably don't. I, I shouldn't imagine unconditioned love. Is <laughs> what comes along with it. Perhaps is a sense of uh, how am I? How am I doing? How am I doing? What what can I be? What will I be? What am I doing enough now to make sure that in the future I will be? Am I doing the right kind of things that make sure that she's okay with me? Or I'm managing him? Or he's not going to do a number on me? Am I living according to the way I feel I should be living? And my values, am I just going up the wrong alley? Yeah. Am I just going off track? Do I, oh dear, I probably don't. Meditate <laughs> enough, exercise enough, should stop drinking that, coffee too much, you know, getting a bit overweight, you know, that, you know suddenly the, the, that empty signifier doesn't stay empty for long, does it? <laughs> And then along with that comes the sort of the, what we call the inner critic, the inner tyrant, finger wagging about, you know, what you didn't, what we didn't do. So it's how, notice how these signifiers flood quite quickly. And what they flood with is not very supportive, actually. It may have supportive strands in it, but often it's, it doesn't really support the well-being of the mind or the mind's, you know, like say, well, look, these are empty, aren't they? There's issues here. Let's really, you know, enter into this world of differentiation with full resources, with full confidence, with happiness, with loving kindness, with compassion, with mindfulness, with, let's really, you know, get on board with our life. Um, and sometimes of course for the meditator differentiation occurs as that's mundane stuff that's not spiritual I want to meditate, shut up, go away I don't want those things bothering me right now I want to just go to this nice deep place oceanic place where I feel comfortable and you do for like five minutes before they start coming up and then uh, stop that so there's another kind of uh, um, proliferation that occurs around the signifier called meditation. Yeah, do you meditate long enough? No. Do you meditate well enough? No. Is your meditation going in the right direction? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Is it going to get you where you need to be? Oh no! <laughs> Please don't ask those questions. <laughs> <laughs> There's, a, there's another system you could try. Oh, really? It's quicker. Oh, yeah. Are you doing the right system? <laughs> you know, you're on this kind of dead-end system. There's a new advanced method you should learn. All oh, right. 
So, you know, how do signifiers suddenly fill up even, you know, spiritual signifiers with all kinds of uh, um, qualities and resonances that are, you know, steeped in qualities of anxiety, apprehension, uh, demand, obligation, expectation, and sometimes uh, disappointment with oneself, overwhelmed by all. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmed by many, overwhelmed by Buddhism. You know, what count, what's in that? You know, somebody was asking you, "Hey, what is Buddhism?" Oh no, not Buddhism. Oh, I don't want to know. Because <laughs> you know, I could put so much in those things. <clears throat> so, but. Really, the you know, to me, the kind of process of of integration is so important. To integrate the differentiated experience with something undifferentiated, so that there are those movements towards oneself, towards other people, towards future, the past. Could that movement be something that is seamless, rather than feeling we're dropping, dropping the meditation and getting distracted, dropping the good, safe refuge place and going out into stuff, mundane, silly stuff, neurotic stuff. Could there be something, a quality that doesn't separate, doesn't differentiate in that respect, doesn't actually blame you for having a, a world <laughs> and instead actually says, yeah this is part of what we are live with as human beings could that process you know actually be handled with some care and what is the quality of that there's one particular uh, quality that I well, a couple of qualities actually. The first one is groundedness, where you can feel yourself almost being lifted up into a, into a topic. You are kind of sitting quite steady, and, so, and then suddenly things seem to speed up, and there's a feeling of almost being rushed up and sometimes thrown out, losing ground. So perhaps as we as we enter and we begin to establish ground, is it possible to stay with that ground? and begin to introduce some of these topics, simple topic like tomorrow or my father or whatever it is, and feel that jump and then just rest again. And doing this a few times until the quality of the ground begins to enter the signifier. What I mean is that what comes from the ground as we enter differentiation is love. Now, this big word, big, another big signifier, uh, I use it because it's a very simple word, everybody kind of gets it, and yet probably all of us have a slightly different number on that, take on what it means. But essentially what this means to me is it's something does not 
lose sympathy, does not lose resonance, does not create a separate object. It experiences, yeah, there's differentiation here, just like there's so much space between my knee and your knee, but essentially the space connects us. You know, we are in a way occupying the spatial realm, which, you know, is there, and that space does not um, reject either of us. It's not, it's, it's something that connects us rather than something that separates us. Right? And you can see it the other way around, of course. But actually, visually, for example, we can look down this form, this colour, and it, there's no real line between that colour and the colour of the rug. And if I sweep my eyes across, then there's another colour, another form arising. Actually, that's seamless, isn't it? In, in terms of visual consciousness, that's a seamless experience. And at what point does that seamless experience become broken up? And, you know, though certainly we can determine intellectually, or that's you and that's me, where does the, the, the resonance, the empathy cease? Where does it, where do we actually cut off that? Where do we make other people really other? And we lose empathy with them. Where do we where do we uh, experience um, any particular object? And instead of sensing it, feeling it, feeling grounded with that, feeling able to embrace and hold that, instead the mind splits and we go into this um, overwhelmed state, the papancha state, the sense of things spinning out. So the quality of empathy is that which arises from the groundedness. It's able to experience differentiation, and that differentiation in you, me, uh-huh, that's a signifier, that says something. In terms of heart, no. No, it doesn't differentiate. It may wobble and agitate, but eventually the true quality of heart, there's an object, there's something that's known, there's something that's experienced, it's felt. Whether whether we call that feeling coming from seeing you or thinking about me, essentially the heart only knows that there's a feeling that's felt. That feeling happens. That quality of being impressed upon happens. It receives that impression. Hmm? It doesn't say it shouldn't be there or it should be there. It just receives that impression. And what is it that enables us to rest with that impression, handle that sense of impact without jumping out? This quality of embrace, of Primal sympathy. And you can recognize that whenever that is lost, then trouble begins. On the grossest level, 
this proliferation, this separation means we can see people as racial diversity and there can be racial discrimination. I'm sure everyone's aware of that. Suddenly these people are not the same as me. They are whatever, dangerous, frightening, weird, other, you name it. You know, all the fear, all the terrors, all the whatever can get dumped into. We see gender diversity. You know, people become objects in which hatred or craving or, uh, you know, gets dumped into that. Very, these are pro- pro- obvious examples. He differentiation terms of nationality. My people, those other folks, particularly played upon by politicians, of course, to an extent that is so, uh, when you look at it, is so weird and unbalanced that you one wonders how we ever believe in it. And yet, we do. Because of this, this unresolved fear, anxiety, aversion, uh, craving, and all the rest of it. You know, I think I was seeing somewhere somebody telling me about um, you know these posters they had. I think at the time of the, one of the world wars, first or second war, and then I think in Britain they had these posters of Germans, kind of red eyes, eating babies. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like total monsters. You know. Because the truth of the matter is, if we felt empathy for another person, we wouldn't be able to shoot them. <laughs> so you've got to get rid of that. Yeah. And dump the fear. Yeah, the potency of fear. The potency of hatred. The potency of, of, of these uh, uh, unresolved um, contaminations of the chitta. Yes. This is, of course where differentiation becomes not just a, a fact of consciousness, you know, because consciousness does differentiate, that's great for navigation purposes and for ordering things around. Conscienti- differentiation becomes discrimination and even dissociation. You know, I do not see you. Um, I do not see you. Coming from South Africa recently, and just um, recognizing the effects of a strongly dissociated society, whereby you know you could live in a country with majority of people dark-skinned people, minority of people pale-skinned people. And the pale-skinned people would have these dark-skinned people cooking, driving, doing stuff, gardening. So many as they, and these dark-skinned people would just disappear. And the next day, these people would, would reappear. And they didn't exist outside of that. People didn't. Where do they live? What, what they, you know, people didn't actually have an awareness of these people being outside of their, uh, 
you know, of that particular experience. These manifested, did their things, and then disappeared. They weren't, they were just phenomena, in a way, (laughs) that arose like um, birdsong or something and vanished again. (laughs) And it wasn't necessarily, there wasn't necessarily anything directly violent happening apart from that dissociation. People just didn't know, didn't fully take into account these people even existed. And yet they were the majority of people. Uh, so much so that um, one of the um, investigative journalists would actually ask the, the dark-skinned people what you know what their bosses were doing, uh, and because the bosses would talk to each other with these other people without recognising these other people could hear what they were saying. <laughs> Because they didn't see them as actually as three-dimensional objects, so mm-hmm. all their confidences will be <laughs> listening. And this basically, journal will ask the cook, "You know, what's your? Oh, yeah, he's got a money scam on." Because <laughs> <laughs> they didn't actually recognise these people were, were, were. They were just purely signifiers of that which cooks, mm-hmm. that which gardens, that which washes, that which does that. You know. And you know, it's a basis, and um, of course, for most people, didn't do anything unpleasant about that. But certainly, you know, on the basis of that, whenever there was some kind of crisis or trouble, or these people started to get a bit feisty uh, and not behave according to the script of <laughs> just manifesting, appearing, and disappearing, then uh, you know, it was quite okay to kind of bash them with rhino whips or lock them up or, you know, um, do terrible things to them. Yeah. Yeah. And somebody actually said they, 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 one of these people, they found this guy had a, had a hand, had a human hand on his desk. He used it as a paperweight of one of these dark-skinned people who was just some kind of thing. They killed this person, cut his hand, and he kept it just as like a, a paperweight. You know, it wasn't a human being; it was it was a thing. Yeah. So you know the power of of this process, dissociation, <coughs> and for sure, you know, it's happening everywhere. It's, it's uh, the things we do. Not we do. Of course, we do it to animals primarily. You know, animals are basically you know, burgers on legs. And <laughs> for a while, until they've become burgers. You know, <laughs> you know they, they are the objects of our, of our wishes, of our projections, aren't they? Yeah. So things become objects. And we might feel that's perhaps more excusable than other human beings. Well, yeah, probably it is. But, but notice the process, how once something becomes an object, then... It's not like me. I don't have to say, I don't infuse it with its need for security, its need for comfort, its wish to survive, its fear of death, its not liking pain. It's, uh, I, don't, I don't give it those qualities. I give it other qualities such as it's plump or it's pink or it's tasty or it's uh, something or the other. Animals, we do that to animals. Yeah. 
And what do we do to ourselves through that? You know, you know, we say, well, you know, you've got to eat something. Well, let's not get into that right now. But just notice, well, you do that to, to animals. And certainly one can look at some of the farming processes and feel, if you really were there with that, you know, you really were with that fully, you would be quite shocked, I'm sure, if you really opened up to what is, is, is happening there. Yeah. What do we do to ourselves through that process? What do we do to our own hearts with that process? How do we, how do we close it down? Because the heart's quality to experience empathy is so fundamental to its own experience, and in fact to the fullness of our own presence, that the more we close it down, we all become locked and shrunk into a series of compartments. It comes back on us. We lose empathy with ourselves, of course. We turn into a should-be's, a series of should-be's, and a series of uh, beliefs, and a series of opinions, and a series of strategies. And we lose empathy with ourselves, with this body, with what it is to be a human being, with its needs and its pangs and its sorrows and its hurts and its energies. We sort of demand it be something. It become we become an object to ourselves, an object marked by performance issues, uh, appearance, physical appearance, um, success rates. What we've become, what we haven't become. Check the boxes, you know. We become objects to ourselves. And trying to f- make ourselves into a good object. There isn't a good object. <laughs> because all objects are marked by fear, by need, by suffering. If an, you know, an, that which is experienced in the mind as an object is deprived of empathy. Now, you know, when I say object, naturally, you know, when I think of myself, particularly images might rise up, particular gestures of, you know, what I, what, how I am to myself. Actually, I'm, thank goodness, I'm really pretty okay with myself now, with the impressions of, that can arise around that signifier. But sure, you know, you can say you, you know, you're a Buddhist monk, you are this, you are so many years old, you're British, you're white, you're male, and all kinds of things can happen with that, around that, that those things. So, you know, we... How many of those actually become objects that haunt me where I feel stymied (coughs) I'm such a I never I always that's me 
how many of those movements of uncertainty, of disappointment, of happiness, of whatever, uh, become nouns, objects. If they become an object, don't they haunt you? Don't they stick in your heart like something stuck in your throat that you can't quite swallow and you can't quite spit out? And, you know, in the mind and its uncertainties, because that object object making seems so natural and even necessary, tries to find ourselves as a good object, something I could feel pleased by. And you try and do that. And make it last. without perhaps eliminating the one of the important features of this experience is that yeah, every me requires a you every every human being is made human by other humans we are, we cannot we are born out of other people's bodies we are weaned we are raised by other people we are seen held loved appreciated, tempered, challenged by other people. Uh, you know, we are constantly modelled and modelling other people. Uh, we are inspired and disappointed and frightened by other people. Most of our nerve endings are tuned to the experience of being with other people, you know, and being affected by it. Yeah. So what happens when this object, me, becomes predominant all those energies that would normally be emphasizing, sensing, negotiating alert to, attuned to the otherness which is an inherent part of my existence start to atrophy, come back turn back inward, become introverted and you get this uh, narcissist the domineer, the dominator the uh, insensitive who still isn't happy anyway because they they lost the joy Uh, because when you shut down empathy you also shut down the heart shut down the heart there's no more joy there's no more of that this is papancha object making you know so we become objects to ourselves, other people can become objects to us. And, of course, one only says this because it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It's not actually a fundamental truth, it's a very powerful uh, proclivity and tendency, and yet probably the biggest learning of our life is to enter total subjectivity and we start with just me maybe one other okay whereby there isn't uh, you know there's some sense of mutual feeling fellow feeling yeah Uh, and and what is it to be a human being how does that feel and the openness to make that safe and free from freezing you know, a person's anger into it, she is an angry person. No, 
Like me, she experiences that. Like me, he experiences fear. Like me, he wants comfort. Like me, she needs security. Yeah. So the world of subjectivity where we are actually rather feeling rewarded by this possibility to, to emphasize because every other is really me as well. <laughs> you know, it's my heart that's there, that's becoming enriched, becoming more skillful, becoming more open, becoming more appropriate through to the empathic domain. This one person, perhaps even groups of people, perhaps even Every time we regard another sentient being for that moment, there could be that sense of what's it like in your skin? How is that? Can we come through that? And yes, we can. Yes, we can. This is our gift. It's actually sometimes very immediate. <coughs> Look, you know, I was recounting a little while ago one truly uh, amazing, well for me it was an amazing experience, one of those sometimes extraordinarily ordinary, very amazing. I was in Tibet, so that's quite amazing I guess. Except when you're in Tibet it's just raining, going down the road, there's mountains, the sky. So... <laughs> and you feel a bit weird because there's not enough oxygen <laughs> suddenly it's no longer esoteric wonderful shambhala it's just feeling feeling kind of groggy in a wet cold place <laughs> it's not mystical at all <laughs> and anyway we were on something and there was a little group of us in a land cruise and we pulled up um, by the side of a road we just, you don't feel like eating very much when you have oxygen deprivation, but we just had a little bit of lunch, so a couple of sandwiches and a boiled egg and a banana or something, just a little pack of lunch. Yeah. Can we go out and eat our, here's a place where you can just pull up and you've got to wrap up. It stopped raining just outside. There's some kind of wall here, sitting there. You sit there, I'm sitting there, and there's these people come down, a couple of people come down, local people. And, uh, you know, they are, these are Tibetan villagers, Tibetan, you know, people very close to the ground. And uh, they're just wearing rags. Like, they look like a bundle of rags. And the skin is kind of grey because it's, it's grimed. You know? uh, and they can't, they look at him, they just look him in the eyes. look straight in the eyes and they come forward and they bend their heads say touch my head look up and the eyes lit with joy and then the whole village is coming down men women sometimes you can barely tell the difference because they're just these bundles of rags and they go he just kind of touch his shoulder. He touch his shoulder, this cloud of dust comes off the <laughs> rags. Mm. And they look up and he, I'm touched. Oh. Mm. Go away. They bring their babies down. 
Here's the baby. Touch the baby. Oh, you're looking at joy. You know? And gradually as I'm, I'm sort of sitting there, this heart is just going, bong, bong, <laughs> opening, opening, opening. The person I was with, started, he starts weeping. You know? Uh, one person can't, can't handle it. It's just too much. It's, it's too, it's too, it's too powerful to have that direct eye to eye openness he has to go away and do something you know and uh, this is what's happened here am I white skinned clean white skin soft clean white skin and these people hands hard horny grey dark chewed bitten nails yeah and this stuff when you look at this stuff and you think you know stuff like this and what's behind it has taken everything yeah. so if you're British we took most of the world <coughs> yeah. so we're having it we didn't ask, we just took it. Yeah. And we were right. Because we were white. Yeah. Democrats. Government, education. <laughs> and we took it. This stuff. Yeah. You go <clears> to a border <throat> when you've got this stuff. You go, it's kind of dark. <laughs> Not so easy. Yeah? And you look at this and you think... Somehow, these people have moved past that in one moment. They've moved past that powerful boundary. Like, so I'm an arms mendicant. I'm sure that more requisites flow through those hands in one week than those people get in a year. Just since I've got food, I can travel to Tibet. You know? more, more energy more runs through that than these people will have in their lives. I can get a passport, I can get medical treatment. Yeah. And yet, with that, this person looks you in the eyes as a fellow human being. Yeah. And all those differentiations just dissolve. And you feel something in you suddenly becomes very big and warm and tender and uh, honoured by touch, just by that. So it's, you know, I still see those eyes sometimes, I close my eyes, I still see those eyes looking with um, openness. What's it like in there? <laughs> and, you know, I look back and I think, look into that thing. They don't seem to have much fear. They don't seem very embarrassed. <laughs> they don't seem very nervous. <laughs> Actually, maybe they got, they're doing better than I. Because <laughs> 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 they don't, haven't created the world. Yeah. 
So it can be like that, can't it? Now, you know, sure, there's the big question here, isn't, isn't there? You know, we all, how much is our physical comfort worth? Is it worth nothing? I don't think so. What is one of the major issues of the, of the day? I think perhaps the major issue of the day. How come you can have 60 people in the, on the world having half the resources of the planet yeah. how, how can that be allowed how can that happen what, what happens to the individual even to the society even to the system that allows such tragic lack of empathy well look in here this is where it begins this is where it begins now this is the process that makes it happen. You know, we're all human beings. We're radically, fundamentally, we're all wired in the same way. And if we don't handle it, this is what happens. If we do handle that, then the sense of differentiation can be respect, can be, what's it like in there? What's it like to be a human being? Please tell me. How is it for you? Yeah. It could be that, couldn't it? It's empty. I don't, I'll never know. I'm not going to fill that in with some opinion or name of you. And in that, that, in that emptiness, there's the beauty of true empathy of openness, in which everything becomes possible. These, as human beings, we're the ones who nurse each other. We're the ones who feed each other. We're the ones who stand by each other. We're the only ones who can comfort each other. We're the ones who will look after each other when we're sick and dying. This, surely, is what we should recollect is the fundamental the most important. What what is it that does that? Can that quality infuse our lives for our own welfare, for the welfare of others? Meditation, in a way, is a chance to go back to the basis of that. Yeah. Here we are. Here's the ground. The safety. There's no pressure, there's no obligation, there's no payment, there's no result. There's no next moment, there's no progress. Really, yeah. this is a chance to put that aside. And from there, as we come into differentiation, there can be the movement, the natural movement, of empathy, of prime, primary love. And we begin to rewire our actions based upon those, that message, message of heart. So offer this for your consideration this evening. Our consideration. Sadhu, 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 Sadhu,
So let's just see as we kind of loosen up out of all that. <laughs> and take a breather. I think we have uh, about till another 15 minutes or so in the world of illusory time <laughs> before the future comes rushing in. <laughs> so you can use it as you'd like to if you'd like to ask me questions or talk to me or comment that's fine you sit there and take it in that's fine also for how you work with losing your ground when something is starting to pull you up, you know, out into a place that is losing empathy, you know, and it's a very fast mm. process mm. and mm. like how to tune in and slow sure yeah well thank you I guess you just know it more thoroughly because it happens so often I'd imagine for most of us to be frank uh, you know that more often and you know the kind of the jump you know, the way, so the first thing I would suggest is, is first of all, let's not be embarrassed about it. This is totally normal. Um, and then perhaps just to come off topic, to to just feel the energy of the rush, you know, the jump and the rush and the speeding, where it takes you perhaps. Generally, what happens almost somatically is the head centre becomes extremely activated around the eyes and the forehead and the face start getting activated. So they always acknowledge the body signal. Yeah. And yeah, there's the engines rushed up there. Now without really dealing with the topic or anything like that, you just perhaps deal with the energy. What happened to my shoulders? Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, it may mean, this may take ten, five, ten seconds to do. So <coughs> certainly it's not finger snap. It can be, it can get quicker at it. But it might very well take five or ten seconds to actually to discharge. You know, because it's a charge. Mm. And if we discharge, the beauty of it is, if you can do that, that ten second discharge, then you really... I've dealt with the major thing. Just it's not that one shouldn't feel disappointed, annoyed, frightened, alert, angry. Uh, but actually, yes. Now let's just what's really necessary now. Okay, there's a big thing we've got to deal with. Let's breathe out and right square up to it instead of jumping into it. it doesn't mean the topic is irrelevant, but the energy is not properly formed it yanks a head off when you lose your body so 
And sometimes when you come back into that, then again, a certain proportion of things you're thinking, oh no, you know, it's not worth getting, no, it's not mine anyway. You know, a certain proportion of stuff will just drop because the, the reflex is blind and it's it's got some pearl of truth in it, but it's often quite, quite, you know, quite inaccurate. Vipalasa means the chitta. Chitta vipalasa means the chitta, the heart, is just its its wiring has gone off uh, or been pushed off. Partly because, of course, very much part of the social conditioning is to get there as quick as possible, to come up with the answer as quick as possible. Even if it's the wrong answer, it doesn't really matter <laughs> as long as it's as long as you're quick. And maybe we have to start to almost use as a mantra, you know, 10 seconds. Have you got 10? Have you got five? Mm-hmm. Have you got an out breath? Can you get into your body? And just even that much. Yeah, that was disappointing, annoying, frustrating, and irritating, improper, but it's not worth me losing my, my presence over. Or if it is, then I'm going to go fully into this calmly and clearly. Look, this was not correct, not properly done. We've said this before. Please, can we, you know? I mean, once you get that, I think it's quite natural that the the responses will come. Um, By and large, in the proliferation process, what occurs is that a topic cascades and fragments into many, many topics. It rushes along. And it's got this and that and another one and by the way, and he never did and I walked to sort of cascade. So again, if that's happening, just one is it well actually what's the one the one word that would sum this whole cascade up? It could be panic, it could be busy, it could be frightened, it could be whatever, you know. It's the one word, ah, okay, got that. Uh, how is that? Oh, yes. They're very simple words. Because everybody has it. It's the most common words in the language. Uh, I hope that's helpful. Thank you. Because essentially, when you, when you begin to recognise that Really, all you can actually testify to and witness to and all that you're ever going to receive results of is what jumps up in your mind. The rest of it could be, maybe, but you have to live with that and the results of it. There's nothing else to, to sort out apart from that, essentially. First of all, I would like to thank you for the practice. Uh, it's very, very inspi- inspi- inspiring. Um, I have a question, kind of the same topic, but as understanding grows around, for instance, the four no- no- noble truth, I find it's also 
it gets that understanding also it gets used as as a food for the defilements you know it's like let's say you get some understanding and then then you also develop some kind of pride around it and that gets used and and so sometimes those states can fire very very quickly because you're like oh it's okay usually i can dissolve that it just dissolves but this one's not going to dissolve and so I don't know, sometimes there is like a lot of What one doesn't dissolve? Um, negativity, doubt. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's say if mind mindfulness is strong, um, some of that negativity can be dissolved quite quickly because if it's seen if it's seen under its true its true light, uh, okay, negativity is just negativity, but sometimes that negativity or that doubt, that confusion, all those defilements can arise very, very strongly all at once. And then there's a kind of confusion because it's like, oh, I know this is, I know this is not completely real. I know this is compounded, but it's like an in intellectual knowing. Right. And there, it's like, there's confusion. I sometimes feel in uh, limbo, you know, in a, in a way. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So? I mean, so far the only conclusion I have is to just keep doing it and... Keep doing what? Just um, em embracing uh, that this, this is my experience, this is my experience. But it, it just get can get over overwhelming at some point. Yeah. Just doubt arise. Well, okay, I'm embracing it, but should I not do something about it? Maybe. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I think so here, indeed. Well, the embrace perhaps needs to be just, just a little, little further. Uh, uh, you see, one, one of the, um, one of the kind of I think a problem that for meditators, in fact, perhaps in everything, but it becomes extremely. Um, stuck is the sense of the observer the separate observer the one who knows the Four Noble Truths the one who meditates the one who understands the Dhamma and yet still finds though they understand it still these, these defilements keep occurring um, it's, you could say the problem is the defilement but the root problem is, 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 the, per, is the one the watcher, the witness, the meditator is the problem. Um, because the meditator is an absence of relationship. The experience of the meditator is an absence of relationship. Uh, the experience of the meditator, out of experience, there's nobody experiencing anything, there's experience. How can, how can there be a person experiencing something? Because <laughs> that person alive or dead? If they're alive, they're in it, they are the experience. So, you know, there's only experience. The experience as it unfolds in consciousness gives rise to the sense of uh, this is happening to me. That's quite normal. That's called consciousness. I am with this. Now, at a certain point with that, the conceit arises, I and that. Now, I will deal with that. Uh, I don't really like that. I want to stop that happening. Uh, and then the relationship is no longer fully embracing empathic. It's 
I will fix this. I'll make it change into something else. Uh, I will not have this one happen. Who's that? Uh, it's, it's a limitation in, in the relational experience. Truly, in relational experience, there's no one fixing anything. There's no one who will be something. There's no one who will be free of something. There's no one who will become other than this. There's just, you know, the movements of experience with the reactions. And if we can get, if the, our hearts can get closer and closer to what's really happening, the meditator tends to suffer from distance. Uh, the obsessive tends to get engrossed in which just they have no sense of differentiation from what's happening the meditator tends to differentiate too much from what's happening somewhere in there the heart gives up results and knowledge and changing anything and in that because of that it begins to rest as it rests the energy doesn't move into defilement you know the very quality of the experience of of knowledge or clarity or um, knowing an object is we might say a secondary state that is uh, it's secondary to the experience of the object of phenomena welling up as a phenomena welling up there arises with that the sense of Oh, that one doesn't feel so good. That's secondary. Yeah, yeah. And you know, naturally, that doesn't feel good. This isn't. This isn't very pleasant. This isn't agreeable. This isn't suitable. Yeah, but you can't dissolve it from that position. The dissolving is the dissolving essentially <coughs> of the subject-object split. And although this may sound crazy, like, you mean I don't do anything about my greed, hatred, delusion, and so forth? Well, yeah, you do. You don't act upon them. That's what you do. You know, in terms of doing. Now, if the heart fully does not seek an answer, does not blame, does not criticize, does not say it's because of him, does not say, I am this way, there's something wrong with me, but stops doing that, it rests. As it rests, the energy that would go into differentiation also rests. And there isn't that generation of, of phenomena. So the embrace has to be really an embrace that seeks no results. It doesn't seek to change anything. Uh, just seeks to feel more fully. To just sense more fully the movement of energy in what we call you know anger or fear or worry oh you know to feel it more fully not to act upon it certainly not to justify it certainly not but just to to, to feel the feeling as a feeling to experience the movement as a movement to experience the activation as an activation with the eliminating or reducing the sense of I am there is uh, a deepening that resolves the issues
Sorry. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and speaking with us and leading us in the presentation. Um, I'm going to ask something about um, if there's a specific technique that you deal with physical pain uh-huh. when the body has is experiencing deep, harsh physical pain. Is there a way to alleviate that with the mind? I believe that there is, but I I'm not sure how to do it. Mm, well, mm, I don't know what to say about that really. I mean, uh, yeah, some people can. <laughs> You've got to have a, really got to, got, got, got to get your stuff together because <laughs> the only way you can deal with that really is through de- very deep samadhi. And, uh, you know, yeah. If it isn't there when the pain happens, it ain't going to leave it. So it's good, certainly a good idea to, because pain is part of our life. Uh, uh, you know. But the Buddha himself said the only way he could stop experiencing pain was to enter this neuroda state, and that's you know Buddhists can do that, but uh, being realistic. Uh, it's, it's less, we're not going to do. We're not going to be there. Um, so the idea of um, you know getting over it is a bit of uh, an illusion. Or, or, but we can perhaps begin to differentiate between the physicality of, of pain and the mentality of it. The mentality of it could be, you know, tightening up, oppressed by, struggling with. Frustrated by you know, you begin to re- to um, release the mental feeling. As it said, you know, in the suttas, the ordinary person has two darts: strike the physical feeling, and then the mental feeling results from it. The enlightened person has only one dart: the physical feeling. They still get the one dart, but they don't get the mental agitation. That itself is, is certainly a big, big um, topic. Just being able to open up and develop one's ability to first of all, okay, tolerate, locate. You know, is the pain in my leg or is it in my heart? You know, where, where actually is the pain happening? And uh, really, the hot edge of the pain will be in your heart. But of course. No, it's actually, so, you know, can we deliberately locate that source of pain? As we'll recognise, you know, we, such things as phantom limbs exist, whereby experiencing pain of a limb that isn't even there. But the nerve ending is still there, recharging. So, locate, and then perhaps move from the tactile impression to a visual impression. What does it look like? So this way we're not setting ourselves up to try to eliminate because that's probably too big a uh, request. But can I just imagine what that would look like? Fire, knives, rocks. Play with it. 
Because when you transfer to the visual domain, the visual domain does not experience feeling. It's only the tactile. So we are kind of in a way, by a sleight of hand, transferring that to, to a non-feeling place. Yeah. Look at the lines, the energy of it, the running of it, the flaring of it, the pulsing of it. Yeah. And even within that pulsing, there's the intensities, and then if it pulses, there must be a less intense. Yeah. What's the less intense? What's the subsiding? Can the mind at least touch into that aspect of it? So you kind of can, can work on angles of it. And then you realise you always should have, give yourself the option to say, okay, very good, that's enough for now. You know, because we've done some work on it. And you, you'll build that work will definitely uh, have its own progress, um, but it isn't something that we can. I suggest that we could really, you know, achieve hundred percent. But you keep working towards this, yeah. and you recognise always that 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 point of choice. Like I could get up, wander around, and. You know, get out of it that way. You know, the mind presents that and say, "Well, okay, for five minutes, we'll refuse that, and just as an experiment to see how you can go through it." Sometimes the body almost, you know, produces chemicals that, that, that anesthetize itself. I mean, people do that. You know, some people that, um, you know. Uh, incurable, chronic, physical pain coming from you know, disease and so forth. There isn't a cure. And just sit with it on fire for two days until the body eventually starts to produce these mm. chemicals that, that anesthetize it. Not something you'd ever do as a choice, but this person had no choice. And also, I guess, another important reflection is others have this too. Because where, where suffering really kicks in is when we feel isolated. This is just mine. And where it turns into compassion, and you recognise, yeah, everybody else, somebody else in the world is having this thing too. So there's my sister somewhere out there. Hold. That helps. Yeah. Are there people who are just naturally not very much connected to the heart? Naturally. <laughs> uh, I don't know what you mean by naturally. Just not uh, easy to feel it, easy to get into the head as a default. <laughs> um, 
I would think that process can begin relatively early in life, but I wouldn't say it's a default state for the human being. It's perhaps a very common pattern for the socialized human being. And when that, and depending on how that socialization occurs, under what conditions it occurs, and what speed it occurs, even what age it occurs, then the more primary sense of empathy um, can be lost. Yeah, particularly if it's very young, because you don't actually have a, a full, even a full verbal or full conscious understanding of it. Yeah, so so that, that you know, most of us will lose that sometime in our lives, I'm sure. But ideally, with, with childhood, at least as two or three years, you're let off <laughs> <laughs> to get get to get it what it is to be as a human being before this other stuff gets. So that one can actually enter the world of differentiation, which yeah, is part of what we do as humans, but without losing the ground. And maybe sometimes one of the misfortunes of our societies are that we, we lose childhood too young. You know, we lose it too quickly. We're too, at the age of five, you're already having to get the grades, as it were. <laughs> So then it gets lost. Because those are the qualities that, that cause one to lose it. Yeah. I know you spoke about anxiety a little while ago, but could you speak about you know, like a chronic anxiety and what's the best way of dealing with it? The best way... Um, I suppose the way that just because you, you, you know, you're giving me a, a kind of general question, I say the general answer would be to to get safe. And where is safety found? Uh, in the body. Uh, by and large, it's it's sometimes found in one's environment, but when there's anxiety, then we can project onto the environment our anxiety. That is, who's outside the door now? Right. Uh, you know, is the lighting safe? <laughs> you know, and it, yeah, really, it could be, couldn't it? Uh, but when we come into this, and it touches the ground, what I'm talking about, this is safe. It may, you know, we can't say it's safe for the rest of our life, but, but that isn't, that statement itself the rest of my life, that's not a safe statement. That's a statement coming from anxiety. There is no rest of my life. <laughs> you know, it's just that. It's just this, isn't it? That's what makes it safe because there isn't any, you know, differentiation doesn't have to occur. And your body can do that. But your mind finds it very difficult to do that because the mind is based upon differentiation. That's it's what it's supposed to do, mm-hmm. but it, it differentiations differentiates often with some very curdled emotional signals. So we have to come back into this this really embodiment, you know, and where the messages can be relinquished. When I say embodiment, I don't even mean like looking down at your knees, you know, because yeah, the floor might be whatever, but 
but just feeling it internally. You know, what's it like at the end of a breath? What's it like, just that rhythmic flow? What's it like when you even forget the idea of your body, of knees and legs, and you just feel the sense of uh, rested sensations that arise involuntarily? It's involuntary. It's not contrived. It's not something created. It's, It's not differentiated by any attitude, it has no attitude it's not good or bad, it doesn't mean anything it's just this so this is where the differentiations can can stop be put aside because it's just this and it's immensely satisfying because it it has no marks to it there's no sense of it's better than this or worse than that or that's safe and it's a given. That's what makes it safe. Mm-hmm. Because it's a given. It's involuntary. Anything that we choose to do, we can also get, we can get right or wrong. That, then it's anxiety. It might go wrong. Anything we do can be marked by right or wrong, success or failure. And when there's that emotional charge of anxiety, there's always a sense that this might not work. I might not be doing it the right way. Yeah? So that charge runs into anything we do. Now, if something we can experience something we don't do that's present for us, then that charge doesn't have to run. Do you understand? So there can be experience the mind finally, oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, because in a way that turn, it switches the chemical off yeah, the neuro, whatever it is switches, switches it or doesn't let it run and we experience oh this is what it could be like you know or there is this stratum of, of experience and that then that knowing that does help to moderate the anxiety, because something is, we're never quite so convinced by it anymore. Yeah. Because we know there's an alternative. It can never really grip us in the same way. Yeah. So it's going into the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. into embodiment. And so when you sit, just like, around me, nothing's bothering me. Underneath me, totally solid. Yeah, In front of me, Nothing there. Nothing kind of jabbing or behind me. Nothing breathing on my back, you know. Safe. <laughs> it's, that, it's like that. You, you, you have to keep checking in with it because it has to be firmly acknowledged before that we, the mind really does rest in it. There, I'm sure there are many other skillful means, but that's just the one I'll give give you right now. Yeah. A moment ago, you said that you thought I don't know exactly how you phrased it now, but in our culture, that uh, we lose childhood too early. 
So, do you think that meditation would help with young children? And if so, is it being done? Well, again, you know, I think the word meditation perhaps might be too, too, um, not quite appropriate. Because meditation, you know, the word can mean a number of things, but uh, I would say uh, deepening into presence would be very helpful. Well, because often meditation can mean, you know, uh, you know, doing a particular technique or focusing them on a particular point and staying with it. And for children, that's very, very difficult because their minds don't don't rest on one point very at all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think certain aspects of of, um, of the benefit of the child, what childhood could mean, it means play. That's what children do, play. Yeah. And we should never lose that. Play means we don't know what the answer is going to be. It doesn't matter. Uh, this isn't about getting something done. This is just because it's kind of fully felt. And I'm with that. And I'm feeling my strength or my energies in that. And I'm with that. There's no result to this. There's no marks. There's no grades. There's nobody looking at it, checking out whether I'm doing it right or not. <laughs> yeah. That, I would say, is uh, <coughs> child play. And the more that we keep in touch with that theme... I think play, in that sense, is very important for meditation. So, in a way, I don't think meditation is for children, really. I think our child childness can help us to meditate better. <laughs> less, less tight, less uh, driven, less performance, less... Anxiety. And to my my opinion is is actually it's works a lot better that way. Mm. It doesn't come out so tidy, but it, it sort of shambles along. Mm. And you come up with some oh, look at that, it's sort of stopped by itself. Mm-hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Mm-hmm. Is that enough for the evening? Mm-hmm. Enough to go home with. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah,